Hello, and welcome to The Right Side of History, a show dedicated to exploring current events through a historical lens and busting left-wing myths about figures and events of America's past. My name is Jared Stepman, a contributor to The Daily Signal. And I'm Fred Lucas, White House correspondent for The Daily Signal. This week we'll be discussing the history of independent councils, or what are often called uh, special councils. Uh, with all the news about special counsel Robert Mueller and the Russian investigation, we thought it was important to discuss the history of this very unusual position, and uh, one uh, that's actually been around for a while in American history. Fred, can you kind of set up uh, this first moment uh, when the special counsel was used? Well, sure. Uh, I want, want to explain uh, we have a president who's in office having never been a career politician. Uh, the administration becomes besieged by scandal, and he supports an investigation. The president says, let no guilty man escape if it can be avoided. A special prosecutor is named to investigate the executive branch. But when the probe gets too close to the president's inner circle, the president and his supporters are convinced this prosecutor is politically motivated. Uh, Big questions loom on whether the president will fire the prosecutor and whether the president will testify in a criminal probe. Uh, Ultimately, President Ulysses S. Grant fired (laughs) the first ever special prosecutor, John Henderson, who was investigating what was known as the Whiskey Ring scandal. Uh, Grant did eventually testify, uh, he was the first president to do so, in a criminal trial of General Orville Babcock. That was his uh, personal secretary. <laughs> this is, I, I love the name of the scandal, the, the Whiskey Ring. And, you know, for those uh, listening who don't know a lot about the Whiskey Ring, it was uh, a fairly large scale. Uh, corruption scandal. In fact, uh, millions of dollars have been embezzled out of the Treasury in this, this, I have to say, kind of complicated scheme where there are a lot of members of, at the time, the Republican Party, which, well, in that time in history, was pretty much the only game in town. This is mm-hmm. following the Civil War, right. uh, had embezzled a lot of money. And so Grant kind of caught whiff of this, this serious problem, uh, which did eventually lead to the breakup of the whiskey ring, but it was quite an embarrassment well, uh, for uh, quite a while. There, there, there were ultimately a hundred convictions in this, and uh, uh, Babcock was not one of them. Uh, after Grant testified in his trial, Babcock was acquitted in the whiskey ring, but then he was actually convicted in another corruption <laughs> scandal, which was an embarrassment to the president. But um, that wasn't a good. Yes. That wasn't a good look when the guy that's yeah. that's being investigated. Yeah. And poor, poor Grant. I, you know, <laughs> in his you know defense, Grant was never implicated in any of these these scandals. Right. I mean, of course, his administration yeah, was, was an hit, administration problem. But, was a, definitely a problem. But poor Grant but, testifying but, for his friend kind of got embarrassed by the fact that well, it turned out he was corrupt in a separate case. There, <laughs> there, there are uh, different iterations though, and and a special prosecutor. In that case, it was the first special prosecutor. Uh, John Henderson, he was actually a former Missouri uh, senator. and um, But uh, a special prosecutor is usually someone named who currently works in the Justice Department. We saw that with uh, Patrick Fitzgerald in the Valerie Plame case, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Uh, we talk, uh, we're seeing this with a somewhat of a special prosecutor, John Huber, who is working with the inspector general to look at the uh, how – the DOJ handled the Hillary Clinton uh, email probe. Um, after that, a post-Watergate reform created the Independent Council. That was uh, a prosecutor who would be uh, appointed by a three-judge panel uh, not, rather than the Justice Department, was, had broad autonomy. 
Uh, we'll, we'll talk. That was post Watergate uh, 1978 law. So uh, uh, resulted after the uh, uh, Watergate prosecutor Archibald Cox was fired hmm. uh, essentially by Nixon. And separate from special prosecutor and independent counsel, you actually have an a special counsel. That is someone um, in the case of Robert Mueller. Uh, also, uh, which we see today, in the case of another example, John Danforth. He's a former uh, Missouri senator um, who was the special counsel in the case of the Waco investigation that happened in 1999. So, um, so, so there. We're going to say, I, I guess we could say any of these broad, an independent prosecutor might be the best right. broad term to use, but. I think that's what's what's most confusing to people yeah, because this this office has really this, morphed this, right. over the years. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and it's, it's essentially applied when there is a view that there's a conflict of an inherent conflict of interest and in investigating the executive branch or the executive branch investigating itself. So. Right. I, absolutely. I think that's uh, certainly that's you know some adds to the confusion. You know what exactly this office is, the kind of powers it has. You know this has kind of changed over time. I mean during. Grant's time, he was able to fire uh, this individual. At some parts right. in history, it would have been well, almost impossible for the president to fire this individual who really wasn't. He was kind of a creature of the executive branch, but but not really. And I think mm -hmm. that's you know something that well, our guest a little later on will kind of more fully explain. But you know, this position has actually been, uh, I'd say, fairly commonly used throughout our history. It wasn't didn't just start it's, with the the whiskey ring scandal, which of course maybe well, the well, most famous it, it, early yeah, one. It, but it's kind of been used by it's executive a, branches ever since then, too, right? Right, Frank? right. So, yeah, since the whiskey ring scandal, uh, um, we it was actually used in post office scandals, which uh, the post office actually was a very powerful political position. It, it's not necessarily what we think of now, uh, but it's a very patronage uh, style uh, office uh, for a long time. It was uh, there were special counsels or prosecutors named to investigate the post office during uh, presidencies of James Garfield and. Teddy Roosevelt. Um, later on, a lot of people have heard of the Teapot Dome scandal that also had a special prosecutor, led to the uh, eventual conviction of Interior Secretary uh, that was named by uh, Warren Harding. Uh, of course, the big one, Watergate. And I just mentioned Archibald Cox a little while ago. He was um, Nixon, uh, the the Saturday Night Massacre in which uh, Nixon fired uh, an attorney general, deputy attorney general, before he could find somebody who would fire Archibald Cox. Uh, that, that somebody was actually Robert Bork, uh, the <laughs> solicitor general, who became acting attorney general. But then Bork just turned around and named another special prosecutor, <laughs> Leon, Leon Jaworski, uh, who uh, finished up the Watergate investigation. And that, of course, led to Nixon's demise. Um Post-Watergate, we had the ethics and government law that created an independent council, and that separated uh, the this special prosecutor from the Justice Department entirely. Uh, as I mentioned, a three-judge panel would appoint this prosecutor. Um, from that, there was, there was actually, during the Carter administration, there was an independent council that looked into drug use among Jimmy Carter <laughs> administration officials. Uh, a very well-known one was... Um, you're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show, Lawrence Walsh and the Iran-Contra yes. uh, issue. And um, also what's very well known to people, Ken Starr, <laughs> who ended up investigating Whitewater. Uh, that led to later Travelgate, Filegate, and ultimately what hit Paydirt with the Monica Lewinsky 
scandal that led to Clinton's impeachment in the House, though he was acquitted in the Senate. Absolutely. I, I, for, for the listen, that Fred actually wrote, a, I would say, a great piece for, for the Daily Signal uh, last year, actually last June, called A Short History of Special Counsels and Presidents. You could actually, we're going we're gonna to link that in, uh, in the piece uh, for the show, because I think it's a really great kind of deep dive into the history of this position that, you know, seems to pop up, oh, oh, I mean, gosh, almost every administration, you know, mm-hmm. we see this kind of you know, internal investigator, and of course, usually met with uh, a lot of scandal in D.C. It's usually something that's very widely talked about in D.C. And you know, some of these individuals who've led these investigations have kind of become, you know, well-known household names themselves. I mean, certainly with uh, certainly with Kenneth Starr during the whole Clinton right. impeachment. I remember growing up how uh, big a deal that was uh, with Kenneth Starr. And I I also find interesting that Starr himself was not uh, all that. Uh, he really wasn't all that into the whole idea of an independent investigator. No, no, investigator. He, 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 he wasn't actually. He, he uh, argued uh, actually in, while in the Reagan administration against, uh, and, and this is, I interviewed him for that, the story I did on the history of special counsels. He argued against uh, independent counsels as being unconstitutional because they had too much unchecked power. The Supreme Court disagreed with that view. And um, later on, uh, after that Supreme Court, um, decision. Ken Starr was asked to be the independent counsel to look into the Whitewater issues surrounding the Clinton and Clinton administration. And uh, he said he accepted it because he (laughs) felt that he was called by his government to serve. So, uh, of course, uh, no good deed goes unpunished there. He he was (laughs) dealt a pretty rough blow during all that. A a, a tough PR. I I think one interesting thing to, to point out both Ken Starr and Robert Mueller had pretty strong sterling reputations before taking these positions. Um, Starr had been the solicitor general under the George H.W. Bush administration. He'd argued cases, you know, before the Supreme court, obviously. Uh, And um, Robert Mueller had been the FBI director. Uh, Neither of these guys needed this job. And now they're, actually coming under quite a bit of a uh, scrutiny uh, for how they're handling this uh, investigations into citing presidents. Right. And of course, you know, there's now talk of, you know, what what's President Trump going to do? He's got the smaller investigation. Some have said that Trump may try to fire uh, the special investigator. And of mm-hmm. course, many others who say, you know, that'd be horrible. That'd be uh, an abuse of power. And, you know, there's currently a law going through Congress that, uh, would essentially tie the president's hands in these matters. It's, right. uh, and, it's spe- and it, it advanced through the Judiciary Committee. Sense, right. So. It's advanced, and it's interesting because it's actually a, it's a, it's a bipartisan bill, and it's it's advanced the Judiciary Committee, and you know potentially it could limit the president, who you know certainly would be tempting fate if he decided to go ahead and fire this person. But it's interesting because it does have some parallels uh, in history to. What happened in – well, we talked about this on another show about impeachment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Tenure of Office Act, which was passed by Congress uh, you know, in the Reconstruction era, a Republican Congress was, was passed essentially to force Andrew Johnson uh, basically to test fate. And, and essentially the law said that he couldn't fire uh, cabinet members. And, of mm-hmm. course, he did fire a cabinet member yeah. in Edward Stanton. Stan. <laughs> and uh, it, it provoked this incredible impeachment proceeding, which is uh, certainly one of the most – dramatic incidents in American history, but it's interesting how this kind of case could be so fraught with uh, political intrigue. And, you know, certainly in the case of the Andrew Johnson, 
And you could say that, you know, the, even the Republic was at stake in this one case. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. I mean, yeah, it didn't involve a special counsel, but right, it, it, it's the same principle in terms of telling the president you can't fire a member of the executive branch. And yeah, and we, uh, I interviewed a, a number of uh, attorneys, uh, legal experts, and historians on, on this for a uh, uh, story I did for the Daily Signal. Yeah, making I, the parallels. It was a great story too. It is. Oh, uh, it is an interesting thing. I mean, you know, of course, you know, doing something to impeach the president. You know, we've had a lot of talk in Washington D.C. about you know Democrats in particular wanting to impeach President Trump if if they ever got in power. So certainly in the House, uh, and that would be a very dramatic moment. And you know, of course, when Andrew Johnson was uh, well, he was almost uh, removed from office. He was impeached, I believe, yeah, by, by one vote. Yeah, he. he was- he was, survived the Senate trial by one he vote. He survived the Senate trial by one vote. And, you know, of course, you know, this is a time when we're just getting out of the Civil War. The Union has been cut in half. And, you know, there's some question about the viability. It all seems kind of inevitable these days. But where the, the Union itself was maybe falling apart, uh, you know, I mean, there's, of course, a lot of historical disagreement. I mean, should he have been impeached? I mean, there are a lot of people who say he's mm-hmm. a terrible president. Maybe he should have been. But at the same time, seeing a president drag from office through impeachment seems like a, a very radical step and something that Americans have never really, really experienced before mm-hmm. um, that could have led to something much worse. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And that's, uh, I mean, the public wasn't ready for it. And during the Clinton administration with the Ken Starr, when found out about the perjury and obstruction of justice by President Clinton, uh, the public was, I, I mean, it nearly happened. Nixon avoided impeachment by resigning, so... Absolutely. So I think to, to to further enlighten the audience on this issue, we're going to bring in uh, a heritage expert who I think has done a, a really great job talking about this and other subjects related to it. So we're here with Hans von Spikowski, a, le- a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, to, to talk about this issue. Uh, welcome to the show, Hans. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me back. So you've uh, you've written a lot about special counsels in the past. You, of course, have a lot of expertise. I, I really like some of the comments you made in, in Fred's recent piece about comparison with the Tenure of Office Act and things like that. Um, so, so talk to us about the kind of creation of, of the special counsel, you know, what this is, you know, what it's meant in American history, what, what the purpose of this, this role is. Sure. Um, well, you know, there used to be an independent counsel statute. But uh, it expired, and Congress let it expire because a lot of people, frankly, on both sides of the political aisle, uh, questioned the uh, how wise it was to have an independent counsel who is not answerable uh, to the president, who is the executive, um, and uh, therefore is not answerable to the people of the United States through the voting process. Um, those kind of prosecutors can be very abusive because there's no limit. On their resources, uh, they can basically do what what they want, and so Congress, I think, made the right decision and and, and let um, let that statute expire. The special counsels that we have now, like Robert Mueller, are an entirely different animal. Um, they actually work for the Justice Department. There are regulations governing them, but but in essence, what is happening is the Attorney General or his, his deputy comes out and says, well. I think we need a special prosecutor to investigate a particular uh, issue rather than letting our regular prosecutors in the different uh, divisions look at it. And so he will hire someone, appoint someone, um, give them special powers to do that, and in essence basically says um, in, instead of the attorney general 
who normally makes the final decision on whether to prosecute or not, I'm giving you special counsel the ability to decide on your own whether or not to prosecute. And and what is the difference between this and, say, for instance, Kenneth Starr in the 1990s during the Clinton impeachment uh, scenario? Is there a big difference between his role as independent counsel and the more modern one? Are there some major differences? Yeah, the big difference is that uh, Robert Mueller actually works for the U.S. Justice Department. Ken Starr, as an independent counsel, was actually picked by a a, a set of federal judges. Hmm. And it was the federal judges uh, who were supposed to be supervising this prosecutor, which is kind of a weird concept if you think about it, that you have uh, the judicial branch (laughs) supervising prosecutors when prosecutors normally are inside the executive branch and the U.S. Justice Department. An independent counsel could be only be fired by if. By those judges. By those judges. Yeah, right. exactly. And and again, that brings up the problem of accountability. Look, if if you don't like if you don't like how a Justice Department is acting, if you think it's being abusive in its prosecutions, well, in the next election you can not re- vote to reelect the president. Because it's the president who appoints the people in the Justice Department. When judges, federal judges are supervising and appointing um, a prosecutor, well, federal judges are appointed for life. You can't vote them out of office. In fact, they can only be removed through impeachment. So, again, you have a problem of unaccountability to the to the public. Yeah, I, actually, there's there's one of my favorite historians, Forrest McDonald, who's written a whole lot about the American presidency. He had this great quote about independent councils and, and what they could mean. He said, independent councils were set up by a complex mechanism triggered by Congress. Councils were instructed to investigate not crimes but name members of the executive branch, and they were given almost unlimited time and money. Their capacity for harassment, reputation shattering, and bankrupting people was unbounded. Their ability to bring wrongdoers to justice virtually non-existent. So what you're saying is essentially this this board was created outside of really popular control that really could do almost anything he wanted. I mean, when the push comes to shove, is that correct? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And that's why, uh, as I said, I think it was a very good idea that they got rid of that statute because I I thought it really set up an, an untenable situation. And- that quote is really correct in that uh, it is hard for an individual American, no matter how innocent you are, to fight those kind of prosecutors because they have unlimited time, unlimited money, and the resources they can bring to bear on you are unbelievable. I, you know, we saw a great example of this uh, that this week of you know a former Trump campaign guy who <clears throat> uh, said some uh, pretty damning words. <laughs> about the special prosecutor and, and congressional investigators because he said he's, he has spent $125,000 in attorney's fees to defend himself, and he's not even a target in the investigation, just a witness. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, it, I mean, Forrest McDonald, he, 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 he continued with that, saying that the Office of Independent Counsel Lawrence Walsh, established in 1987 to investigate the Iran-Contra affair, had by 1992 spent at least $30 million and had yet to obtain a major conviction that stood. I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty shocking for a single investigation to eat up that much money uh, in a very short amount of time. Yeah, and, and without getting into a lot of detailed history about this, people should understand that um, special counsels and, and independent counsels really violate a basic tenet of American law, which is that when the framers put the Constitution together and the Fourth Amendment, they specifically wrote it in a way to prevent what were called general warrants from ever being issued. And what they were talking about was that in England, the, the, the mother country of the colonies, um, the, 
the king could issue these general warrants. These weren't charges that a particular Englishman had uh, violated a specific crime. It was basically a warrant giving prosecutors the ability to investigate anyone the king wanted targeted to see if they could find a crime to charge them with. And that's something that the framers said, we're not going to have that in America. Absolutely. Well, um, to, to jump in, though, on, on the same uh, looking at from from the other side and uh, I, I I can remember the the Ken Starr Clinton investigation. Right. Uh, you hear, you would hear Democrats say out of control prosecutor. Uh, you hear a lot of that with Mueller and Trump today uh, among Republicans worried about this. Um, but at some time you uh, you authored a book about Eric Holder, the, the enforcer, right. uh, who was in a lot of ways the Justice Department was a, an extension of the White House. Um, in lieu of having some kind of independent prosecutor, no matter what you would call it, um, what what's the remedy there to investigate corruption in the executive branch without when there's clearly a conflict? Well, I, 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 the only answer I have to that is that sometimes democracy is messy, you know, <laughs> and the framers put into the Constitution the fact that um, the only way to get rid of officers of the United States, so not only the president, but federal judges, um, cabinet officials and others, uh, if Congress wants if they, if they believe corruption is occurring, they have to be impeached. Mm-hmm. And while that is uh, also a messy process, that's the way you have to do it. So if, for example, you believe that a an attorney general is corrupt in the way he's been running the department and the president won't fire him, uh, then the answer to that is Congress needs to impeach him and they have a trial in which they point out all the way he's abu- all the ways he's abusing his office and then they have a vote on it. And that's that's the way you have to do it. It may not always satisfy everybody, but that's the the tool we have. Does yeah. does does Congress though have the ability, I guess, to really obtain the information, I guess I guess or do an investi- a criminal investigation that a prosecutor like Ken Starr or Robert Mueller would though. In, in uh, well, I, w- I would point out that we do have an inspector general system now, too, okay, right, right? right? And inspector generals are uh, appointed by presidents and confirmed by the Senate. And a lot of them are very, very good uh, and, and have acted in independent ways to investigate waste and fraud and wrongdoing in, inside uh, departments. So we do have that system. Um, I heard Rod Rosenstein say uh, earlier this week that um, when he was being asked about documents uh, that Congress wanted, that Congress didn't have uh, the oversight right to see internal mm-hmm. documents at the Justice Department. Well, uh, he's getting awfully bad advice if he <laughs> believes that because, in fact, that's not true. Congress mm-hmm. has a constitutional oversight um, authority. It's been recognized by the courts. And Congress has the right to basically see everything and anything inside the Justice Department with one exception only. And that only exception is if the president claims executive privilege. Mm-hmm. Of course. And, and as you know, uh, that actually happened, remember, during the Obama administration yes. when they claimed executive privilege over the documents involved in the Operation Fast and Furious incident. Um, so right now, uh, Rosenstein and others who are not providing documents to House committees investigating this are, are basically not complying with the Constitution and the law. Absolutely. So uh, you had some uh, interesting comments recently in a piece that, that Fred had bringing back to the issue of of impeachment. So there's a, currently there's a, there's a kind of a law going through Congress that right. would make it very difficult 
uh, for the president to fire the special prosecutor in this case. And this is being basically led by, uh, I guess you could say, a bipartisan group of Republicans and Democrats. And they're trying to create this law and say that the president, well, he just he, he isn't able, except for some restrictions, he isn't able to uh, fire somebody. And there is some historical parallels to another time in history where you had, a, well, a Republican Congress going after, well, a president that uh, was in many ways elected by Republicans and Andrew right. Johnson. They passed this Tenure of Office Act that tried to force the president not to fire people who were at that time cabinet members. Of course, he did and set off this impeachment proceedings. What do you think about uh, what do you think about this law and, and what it means in its comparison to the Tenure of Office Act? Right. This this bill, uh, I think the main sponsor is Tom Tillis of uh, North Carolina, is is in my mind patently unconstitutional. And the reason for that is, look, we have a, what's called a unitary executive. All the executive authority of the United States is uh, given to the president by the Constitution. He's the one charged with law enforcement uh, make, to, to take care of the laws are fully enforced. And what that means is, is that he's got the ability to hire and fire prosecutors. Uh, he has the ability to tell prosecutors to bring or not bring a case. And any attempt by Congress to limit his authority to be able to remove prosecutors, and that's what this bill would do, um, is unconstitutional. And Andrew John, Congress tried to do that. <laughs> they tried to say that Andrew Johnson couldn't remove uh, officials within the executive branch without getting the approval of uh, Congress and the Senate. And uh, he, he, of course, immediately violated that statute. And that's what they tried to impeach him on. It's it's, a, it's an incredible thing. Of course, that that law itself was actually considered unconstitutional based, yes. on, I believe, a, a 1926 decision. So a much much later decision by right. a former president, uh, William, uh, William Howard Taft, Taft uh, was Supreme Court justice at the time. So it is very interesting to see. Uh, there's definitely a little parallels there, but uh, uh, interesting in that history to see that uh, Congress is trying to pass a law to, I mean, you know, potentially could entrap a president. There are a lot of discussions about whether Trump is going to fire uh, a special prosecutor. So there's definitely some some interesting history there for sure. Would uh, would, would you say uh, I mean special counsel being different from not having that vast autonomy that an independent right. counsel would right. does uh, special counsel can be fired. Uh, uh, this law might effectively turn turn the special counsel into an independent counsel almost. But um, uh, would would you? Uh, would you agree or disagree though with these uh, some of the House Republicans that are out there who want yet another special counsel to investigate Comey, Hillary, uh, some I, of those issues. I really in the don't Department. like the idea of special counsels because okay. in some ways they have the same wrong incentive that independent counsels did, mm -hmm. which is if they spend a lot of taxpayer money investigating for a year or a year and a half or two years, and then they come out with a report that says, well, we looked at this and we don't think anybody broke the law, they know they're going to be open to criticism. Right. Whereas if so, that gives them an incentive to actually find wrongdoing. And I think that is the wrong incentive. I, I think the best example of this, remember, is uh, uh, Patrick Fitzgerald was appointed as a special counsel mm -hmm. to look at the uh, supposed leak of the identity of a CIA agent, Valerie Plew, who was not covert, apparently. She did not covert. Yeah. Well, he ended up indicting uh, Scooter Libby for it, uh, assistant to the vice president. He, Libby was was convicted, even though at the time Fitzgerald knew that the leak hadn't been done by Libby. The leak had been done by uh, Richard Armitage. Uh, Richard Armitage. Yes. And that shows you that I, I don't th 
I think Fitzgerald had the wrong incentive to show that, oh, well, he did, he was doing something, and it, it caused what I think is, is uh, abusive behavior by a prosecutor. Uh, fortunately, by the way, as we know, uh, Donald Trump recently pardoned <laughs> yes. Scooter Libby, something that George Bush enough, goes should have to... done before he left office. Absolutely. Well, Hans, thank you so much. Do really appreciate you coming and uh, sure. giving us a lot of insight into this. We appreciate it very much. Uh, anytime. Thanks. Thanks to everyone for joining us on The Right Side of History. If you'd like to listen to past and future broadcasts, you can also check us out on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the Daily Signal website. Also, take a look at the Daily Signal's Facebook page for when our next program airs. And if you're further interested in our work, check out my Twitter, at Jarrett Stepman, and Fred's Twitter handle, at WH. Thanks again for listening. You've been listening to The Right Side of History, executive produced by Jared Stepman and Fred Lucas. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit heritage.org.